Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Ah, just think about all those wise words uttered by the noble sages of this world. That all of us as human beings at some point in our lives have hungered for with an insatiable appetite. From the prophetic voices shouting in the desert, all the way to those self-proclaimed lifestyle gurus beaming their polished words and porcelain smiles to a flat screen near you. We live at a confusing time in history in a world filled to the brim with voices competing for airtime and our attention. It's a world where high-profile faces are slapped with gusto onto billboards and where B-grade celebrities rise to notoriety by doing the reality TV show circuit in order to sell their brand. So where do we go in such perplexing times for sound advice? Well, look no further than the poem we've got prepared for you today here on Lit Poetry entitled Cohen's for the Young by Paul Mitchell. This is a poem where all the secrets of the universe will be gently placed in the palm of your hand. This poem is read to you by the rather messianic Philip Freeman. Cohen's for the Young by Paul Mitchell. Just because ghosts don't exist doesn't mean they can't haunt you. When you're old, remind the younger you that you don't like what old people say. Once you realize you don't know anything, you'll know you're no longer young. Imagine you're talking to your younger self. Now imagine that's me. Luckily, I've got nothing to say. Not to you, anyway. As you know, time is only the same for us because we're on this planet. But when are you reading this? A theory destroyed is an angel shooting a pop gun at a circus lion projected on a clown's behind. God knows everything, except how to be an atheist. That dream you keep having where you miss your exam hasn't happened yet. If it has, remember, the answers are in koans I've yet to write. I had a final koan in mind about the wind, but it was gone before I had time to wonder where it came from. So welcome to the Lip Poetry Podcast Season 2 and our discussion of the poem Cohen's for the Young by Paul Mitchell. 
And if you hadn't already picked up, no, I'm afraid this poem doesn't actually contain the answer to the meaning of life. But it does contain humour, and it raises many interesting questions about art, wisdom, and the interpretations of literature in our world as well. And thankfully, we have Paul Mitchell on the podcast with us today to unpack this poem. But before I introduce our guest, a brief introduction is in order. Paul Mitchell is a poet and writer who has published six books in his career. These include a collection of essays, Matters for Life, 2021, the novel We Are Family, 2016, short fiction, Dodging the Bull, in 2007, and three collections of poetry, Minor Physics, 2003, Awake Despite the Hour, 2007, and Standard Variation, 2014. Minor Physics won the IP Picks Poetry National Award for an unpublished Australian manuscript, and Standard Variation was shortlisted for the John Bray Adelaide Writers Week Poetry Prize. Paul has had his work widely published in literary journals and magazines, and he's been placed or commended in many literary prizes. He's written for film and stage, and he has a PhD in creative writing from La Trobe University. So welcome, Paul, to the podcast. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks very much, James. Thanks for having me on. I know, it's, it's a pleasure having you on. And it's going to be a very interesting discussion, I think, today with your poem. I think it's a little bit different from what I, sort of poetry I've been featuring on lip poetry. Can you tell us a little bit about where this poem came from? Because I know I had a little bit of a preliminary discussion with you, and I think you mentioned something vaguely about you didn't know exactly where it came from. Um, so maybe you could fill in that story for us. Yeah, I didn't know where it came from at all. Um, <laughs> it's problematic, isn't it, when you're supposed to be able to talk about poems. But if I, if I think about it, it emerges from a place that probably a lot of poems do. And the interesting thing for me was hearing it uh, read by someone else. Um, and I'll get to the American accent as a separate item. But to hear it read back, I was kind of intrigued to know how much humour there was in it uh, and kind of dark, ironic, uh, sarcastic humour in it because I don't feel like I, I wrote it with that that layer in mind as such. As it, it seems to just emerge and this is something other people have said about my work that this actually is a bit of a characteristic, this kind of background humour even when I'm dealing with quite serious topics which that poem does as you said. So in a sense it's it is reasonably characteristic of what I do, but certainly I do write more serious things uh, as well. Yeah, well, having read some of your stuff, I would I would say that. And I chose this just because I, I thought it was um, a unique take on poetry that we haven't sort of looked at uh, at Lit Poetry so far. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, that serious, um, more serious nature that the poem was intended for? So what did you have in mind um, when you were writing this poem? What was it? Did you have an intention to begin with, or did you would you were just sort of um, you know, freestyling on the page and seeing what would happen? It's funny. It's kind of it's one of the rare ones where I don't remember the drafting part as well as I do with some other poems. It's quite it's quite strange. But I think underneath it is the likelihood that I was connecting my experience as a as a father of um, kids in their early twenties. And I find myself probably just dealing with, you know, my own sense of ageing. The fact that it becomes harder and harder to not sound pompous when you talk to your kids at that age about things that matter. I mean, I'm lucky in that I've got two adult kids that will ask me for advice. 
um, because the last thing you want is to be offering advice where it's not wanted. And I think that's one of the big problems for any parent is doing that. So for me, sometimes my poetry is a vehicle for working out some of these issues in my own life and relationships. So, but particularly that sense of, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting a little older now. I've probably got some uh, things I could say. And I find the koan and you know, the parable and those kinds of um, uh, enigmas <laughs> Mm. really fascinating and I feel like a couple of those as I hear them back they're actually quite good like they work in the um, actually in the form of a koan but there's still that tongue-in-cheek sense of hey I'm not really wise enough to write a koan so you just better remember that um, that's interesting because that sense sort of comes through it's very playful um, and I think you're partly not taking yourself seriously but that, but then again there are some of some of the, um, the verses or the, if we call them koans um, actually I think are laced with extreme amount of wisdom uh, and actually do sort of probe those depths you know the stuff it, it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about thinking about your own kids and the generation divide and and the um, you know the questions that raises and the concerns and about how to bridge that gap but you also and it seems like in that internal monologue you're having with yourself you're also remembering yourself as a young person as well because there seems to be multiple selves in in this poem where the older self is talking to the younger self were you aware of that sense of, of sort of your splitting of yourself and this discussion that was happening back and forth is that how you were trying to enter into that space when you're thinking about your kids and that sort of thing i think i do that quite regularly in, in poetry because i mean it's like probably a lot of poets talk about is who's the audience mm. i mean you have this sense of hopefully um there are readers but in the end, yeah, I feel like I've almost got to be in some ways dialoguing with myself in order to have an audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that if I make that my primary audience, then hopefully there'll be a resonance that extends beyond that. So in a sense, I'm trying to entertain myself. And if I do entertain myself and, and in a sense provoke myself and also speak to myself in a way that's profound, witty, or whatever it is, then then hopefully that will exist beyond the mm. page. And that's what came back to me when I heard it read. I thought, oh, it's actually successful. <laughs> it's worked. Yeah. yeah, well, it's interesting that there is a level of that sort of self-deprecation within, within the poem, but that's actually perhaps ironically, and, and maybe this is a good point for all writers, that maybe that's a necessary ingredient for actually being able to say something. Um, that if we can't say things confessionally or humbly or understanding our own broken humanity in the midst of everything then we we're completely missing the mark and, and, you know, and we won't be able to get a, an audience because people aren't going to take us seriously because they won't be able to relate to us or something Is that Yeah, I've, that's true I, I, I've always found it almost impossible to write preachy poetry mm. and I find some of that kind of poetry uh, it's almost like a new agey spirituality mm. guruy poetry to be not poetry at all because it, it is so dogmatic mm. and it doesn't matter what spectrum of politics or spirituality it comes from I think that's what I actually that's what I really liked about this poem because I'm very aware of that sort of poetry being out there 
doing work and, and I really do, don't like it. It's based on ideas, but it's sort of shoveling wise ideas from some sort of font of knowledge your way. I reckon there's a veneer where this poem comes over that way, but it's absolutely not that at all. It's almost like laughing at that form in slightly. Um, it's very irreverent, I think, uh, which, which was what part of the reason why I was attracted to it. Maybe that's a sort of necessary um, antidote to that type of um, form that exists out there. It could be peculiar Australian too, because when we do anything that's sort of spiritual uh, or even you know, religious, it, there is that, hopefully, <laughs> sense of uh, a bit of a piss take as well, because it is such yeah. a, you know, a way of... It, oh, pontificating is just not my speed. And, but at the same time, I'm, I'm big on wanting to gain wisdom. And, and so for me, it's more about trying to explore and find wisdom myself rather than trying to visit it upon anyone else. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I think the natural descent where my thoughts are going is that you can go down a very postmodern pathway and get towards the absurd. But I'm not sure that's exactly what you're doing here. And you're saying quite clearly that 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 sort of thought is not you as a as a writer then no and i like it's the poem is not a parody yeah yeah but it it, it edges on parody yeah. but in the end it's still meant to be doing some koan work yeah sure so, well why don't, why yeah. don't we focus in on that then because i think that might be a really good place So the first verse, the first verse is um, just because ghosts don't exist doesn't mean they can't haunt you. Yeah, and look, I, I think with any analysis of poetry, I would just be another voice analysing the poem. I don't see myself as having any more or less of an analysis that's effective or right in the mm. commas than anyone else with a poem like this. So in a sense, it comes up to me as a piece an artifact for interpretation rather than me saying here's the interpretation yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah, sure. so for me what comes across is uh, for me it's about the ghosts of lovers and, and past people in your life uh, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get out there the notion that they may not exist in one um, sense but in another sense they very much do mm. and can haunt you then potentially for the rest of your life if, uh, mm. if the relationship is strong. So is that kind of like the sense too with a human being that we move on, we, we might get to stages where we're feeling, I don't know, unhealthier than, than our past self. But mm. at any stage we can be besieged by ghosts that, that are there that we're not aware of, like our old self, our, our old foibles and um, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think that um, I was recalling probably two poets that I have really liked, A.D. Hope and Kevin Hart, in those, in those lines, because uh, I think it's A.D. Hope, I could be wrong, I'm terrible with this, but he talks about ghosts that haunt the heart's possession. And Kevin Hart was talking about all night being haunted by the ghosts of his of, of relationships in one mm. of his poems. So I think it's, it's really in that, in that ballpark that I'm, I'm operating with that 
that line. Yeah. Um, the second yeah. verse is um, when you're old, remind the younger you that you don't like what old people say. <laughs> I really love this one. It's pretty straightforward, that one. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. yeah. And being an older person myself, um, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in it, which kind of goes on to the next one where it talks about, you know, once you realise you don't know anything, you'll know you're no longer young, which is that ironic understanding that, you know, you actually, as you get older, you realise that you really do not understand things as well as you thought you did in your idealistic 20s and stuff like that. It's just that adage of, um, uh, you know, simplicity, complexity, and then simplicity, the other side of complexity. And um, I think we're talking about T.S. Eliot's lines there, which really play into some Buddhist constructs as well. So I think that's what I'm pointing to there. And whenever I look at those those two sets of uh, lines, if we want to call two koans that join yeah. together, um, I guess one of my, my foremost experiences was um, as a 21-year-old or 20-year-old, I couldn't get a job anywhere after uni and I worked in nursing homes. And for me as a young person starting out in life, to work in those uh, institutions was just such a hugely interesting and powerful way to start my life and my working life mm. to see where you end up and now you know at the age I'm at I'm moving in that direction and mm. it feels like the journey has been so short mm. <laughs> and so that's I guess that's partially what this poem's about that the shortness of this journey that can seem so long when you are young mm. can seem so far away and then in a moment there you are. Yeah, true, true. And I think that's certainly the experience I had as I as I get older. That, and, and time seems to accelerate too, which is worse. It seems to be an eternity that you have when you are in your 20s and late like teenager. Yeah. So it's, that's very interesting that you talk about uh, working in nursing homes and what you learn from that. Has, has that informed much of your work over the years, that knowledge? So, and so you see seeing people at their, their end stages. Yep. And also, I imagine, exposed to how our society and the apparatus of our society treats people in those sort of positions, because uh, what, what were working conditions like? Uh, see, I, I was working in nursing homes, but I also worked um, in a sort of social work. Uh, I wouldn't even call it social work. It was more sort of a, an assistant attendant carer to older people in housing commission flats as well so there was mm. that element too and for me like that that entire period wasn't just formative for my writing it was formative for my entire life like I wouldn't change that experience it's been crucial for how I see the whole journey of life like start to finish yep. and also in how I you know look at older people and just the, the lack of respect and the fact that we start to move away from living communally as Western Anglo people <laughs> there's so much to learn from other cultures that we just haven't learned and yeah it's mm. it's been a really significant thing it's it's permeated my writing in lots of different ways in poems and stories and even in novels mm. yeah well, it's fascinating. I think it's something that would be good if uh, more more people do it um, more kids did it or something there's, there's some way of them from having that experience mm. um, be really powerful yeah because there is a sort of um disconnection between the generations perhaps you could argue particularly the very older generations yeah i think that could we, be we lose our eldership yeah 
problematic. So this poem is talking to that as well, saying, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not an ancient elder, but I'm moving into that territory, and how else am I going to get people to listen than in uh, a humorous poem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it goes on, and then uh, there's quite a different thought here. Um, and as you know, time is only the same for us because we're on this planet. But when are you reading this? I've been thinking about this one for a while. I, I assume, and I could be completely mistaken here, this you're actually bringing in this, this, this notion of time and sort of sitting back and looking at what is existence, what is this progression that we're on. It's raising a lot of questions. There's no real answers in my head where you've taken me with that column. But so, so what, what were you thinking there? Um, well, I've, been, I've read and watched <laughs> wads and wads of science <laughs> around how time operates differently. I mean, in terms of I, I'm, I'm just not a scientist and I, I can't, I could try and write specifically the, the things that I've, I wouldn't even say learnt, but maybe um, taken in over the last few years. And that's kind of the best I could come up with. <laughs> like I feel like I could write line after line after line on that topic because of just simple things like rea- the construct of reality is not, it's not, reality is not what it is like mm. what we see as reality is is completely diverse it's not this this moment in time it's not um i mean that's i get totally lost in it so that's why i write poetry to mm. try and express some of the not confusion but actual wonder that i feel around these topics of science mm. and quantum theory and those kinds of fascinating realities and in inverted, com- inverted commas that we are learning about structure and the, the fabric of the universe it's, it's so fascinating mm. and so I just sort of squeeze it out in some <laughs> little mm. lines of poetry to throw up there yeah mm. yeah no, it's, it's certainly something that I think about ponder <coughs> from time to time it's good that it's, it creates a sense of wonder in you I think for some people it's mm. not that at all it, it's quite a um, harrowing uh, experience for them to try to contemplate the, the, the vastness um, and potential chaos of our re- of this reality that surrounds us. Um, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. A lot of people, as they're learning these things and finding out about these things, just the entire sense of themselves and sense of meaning just dissipates and mm. there's no foundation anymore. And yet, I don't feel that way. I mean, I feel like that's that we're going to learn more and more and more and that's just how it is and you try and block that off what would be the point <laughs> yeah true. true yeah yeah and you've got a couple of very humorous um, Cohen's. Perhaps the one with the most humor. A theory destroys an angel shooting a pop gun at a circus line projected on a clown's behind, followed by God knows everything except how to be an atheist. <laughs> Where was your headspace with that first one? Oh, I think it actually comes out of the, the previous lines. You know, all these theories that we, we have and that we, we think are you know, therefore solid for all of history mm. just are proved to not be. Mm. You know, all these 
I mean, for, for me growing up, for example, I, I had no idea that the sun was going to burn out. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and it's only recently I've discovered that, which is insane. But whereas my five-year-old, you know, he grew up, or sorry, when he was five, he knew the sun was going to burn out. Mm. I, had, I had no knowledge of that. And so it's, it's just taking that to the, the other extreme, like, you know, that we find out these theories about the universe that then are turned on their head completely and suddenly reality doesn't look anything like it did before. Mm. So it's it's kind of mocking us mm. and our certainty that that set of lines and just mm. doing it in the most <laughs> you know I, I saw that you know that whole thing of the, the, the clown with the pop gun that shoots bang out of mm. you know the flag of bang comes out that's the kind of oh, image yeah, I had yeah, yeah. I just wanted to play it up even further yeah showing how silly our bombast is but what's fascinating about that is that you've also I think within that mix there is a really important idea that in this complexity, in this, uh, uh, this unknowable universe that we sort of, you know, we, we try to understand and there, you know, there's always shifting paradigms and shifting you know, theories and that actually one response that actually is legitimate and perhaps is good for us to embrace is actually humour. Uh, that if we don't and if we, we can't laugh and that there is a, a sense of comfort in that, in that humour and feeling small in the midst of this is a reality and it's actually a reality we need to be able to get used to and so humor is one mechanism um i imagine um and if, perhaps if you didn't have humor you know, the fallout maybe wouldn't be as easy to manage perhaps because i imagine some people have serious crises over over some of this knowledge and things changing and shifting uh, and then it goes on to talk about dreams um, that dream you having when you miss your exam hasn't happened yet. And if it has, remember, answers are in Cohen's I've yet to, to write, and then it's got another one about the wind. So do, do you want to um, just tell us a little bit about these last two? Um, well, again, it's kind of like these these sort of do start to operate a bit like Cohen's so that they, they should resist interpretation as much as possible. Yes. And I think they do, which is great. <laughs> so mm. I, I think... I. The only thing I could really point to in those is that, you know, I, I'm someone that has that dream a lot, <laughs> where mm. you, it's uh, it's worse than missing the exam for me. What happens for me is it's an entire subject that I have not done. I simply haven't done it, and I've, I've got to either go to an exam or produce an essay within 24 hours, and the, just the chill and horror of all that, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure everyone's got their own example of that kind of dream, which is, I think, mm. about inadequacy, senses of sense of inadequacy. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of playing with that idea that hey, you might not have had a dream like this, but you, you're going to get one. <laughs> it's going to come, and it, it's, it's almost like that is pointing to some kind of universal human experience of, as you said before, inadequacy, brokenness, and that we are somehow reliant on wisdom that we don't yet have, always. Mm. And that it's a striving, a striving forward in that. It also indicates in you and perhaps in humans the impulse that we, we, we desire something though. Yeah, we're not just sort of like uh, neutral creatures with no get up and go. Like that, that the, the fact that the dream plagues you um, says something about maybe a yearning inside as a human being, 
would you say that that case? Yeah, I, I sort of wouldn't have seen it there, but it's definitely true. I'm, I'm someone that that's um, you know, the more answers I get, the, the less likely I'll think that that's the end answer. <laughs> then there's going to be more and or yeah, that, I mean again, it's that T.S. Eliot thing. I feel like it's such a wise set of words about the the knowledge you can get, which is only just one layer of knowledge, and that there's another layer beyond that where you don't know things in an intellectual way, you know them at some other deeper level. And I think you know, if we age well, then that's probably the place we should get to, if possible. Yeah. Is that part of the reason why, you, why you're attracted to poetry? Because in some ways poetry is an art that embraces that unknowability um, and it plays with ideas, it touches upon moments, but it can never give anything fully definitive. Um, Absolutely. I think that's, I mean, the reason I still keep writing poetry is because of that. It's because it's, it allows that sense of not having to have all the answers. It's exploration. And for me, that's, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me reading it. And that's when I read poems. If I read poems that are didactic and mm. preachy or overtly political without a sense of, you know, possibility or the possibility, hey, I could be wrong um, on whatever topic, then mm. I, I find I resist that kind of poetry. Mm. I, res- I certainly resist writing it. I definitely resist reading it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm probably cut from the same cloth as you because I probably have those same problems with reading. You know, I write a lot of, I write a lot of prose, a lot of non-fiction, and you, know, you can have, you settle your ideas there much more, but with poetry, I'd want it to be unsettled. Uh, and so my my poetry, I think, is for, for only for people who who don't want everything defined. Mm. If you want everything defined, my poetry is probably not the place to go. <laughs> yeah, well, well, like I've said on the, the podcast with um, I think other um, guests that I've had on, I think it's that uh, that place in between you know, categories, in between. You know, we we don't want answers, um, certainties. We want to be in that that position of flux in between wrestling with what the, mm. the truth is and, and, and perhaps if we ever sort of finally settle on an answer we've, we've lost ourselves in the journey um, it's, yeah, it's a cliche isn't it it's, it's the journey is where, where growth and reality is not the destination um, which is exor- uh, and maybe that's why our lives are short because it, um, it's such an exhausting process uh, to continually have to exist in that space um, perhaps so Paul look I had a, a question I wrote down some questions uh, that I, I thought about asking and one, one of the ones I really wanted to ask you was um, talking about the poem and what I've done with the the poem and in particular you know if you were to do it your own version uh, put to music song imagery and um what what would be different what would you do and 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 yeah I, i'm pretty keen to hear a critique of what i've done you shouldn't feel like you have to hold back um and what questions it's raised for you uh i just thought it would be really interesting to, to hear mm. 
those thoughts? No, it's interesting because I've, I mean, I've worked quite a bit with musicians um, with my poetry, and just recently, well, a couple of years ago, I did an album with a multi-instrumentalist, Simon Mason, and yeah, we worked lots of poems and worked some of them into songs entirely. Other bits were just more spoken word with soundscapes, background, uh, beats. So I'm quite used to it, but I never thought of doing that one <laughs> in, in any way. So to hear it was interesting. And I, I felt like it really did a lot of justice to it because I loved the the wafty, windy bells and all that. There was a, there was a deep irony in that. Uh, and then the American accent at first, I was like, oh. But then when I when I listened to it more, I thought it actually amps up the humour even more because I feel like we've got that almost as Australians we've got that voice in our head that American kind of uh, not preacher voice now so much <laughs> as the the public speaker voice that yeah guru voice the guru voice you know? yeah and that's what look and that's why I commissioned um, mm. to do it because I think being in Australia we do have those associations with the American voice um, yeah. I was I was unsure how you would react to it, so I was a little bit nervous about that. So I just I actually thought it really even pushed up the humour more, and it was by by the second listen I thought, yeah, I really get this. That makes a lot of sense, um, and it yeah. revealed to me, as I said, things that I didn't know about the poem mm. and my own attitude to koans and guruism. So that's been a big thing for me too. So I think. You know, I read the poem in that way. I could get that sense yeah. that what you were doing, and that's why if um, people get the opportunity to look at the video that was made for it, it's got like this candle floating in the cloudy sky, which is very you know stereotypical. But it's interposed yeah. with um, this sort of static um, t- TV um, test strip imagery that comes in and out and sort of mm-hmm. breaks it up and. Um, gives it a level of sort of um, dysfunctionality, I suppose, which is yeah. probably my interpretation where I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is broken, there's something wrong, there's something that, mm. that isn't tuned in properly here in, in what's going on. Um, yeah. yeah, but but generally speaking, I, I just thought really strip back and be very minimalist with this particular mm. poem because that's what a Cohen is. It's, it's minimalist. It doesn't a lot. It needs yeah. to be subtle. No, mm. I, 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 like, I really liked it. Really, as I say, I, it's great when you hear something and it reveals something about your own work. That's really positive. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. I, um, I had some work commissioned for uh, going back a while. It was like the first chapter out of a verse novel that got read at the um, Poetry Festival in Melbourne. Uh, and it was written from the perspective of a young Filipino boy and they commissioned a Filipino guy to, to read it <laughs> it just blew my mind hearing this story it come to life there he was reading it uh, it was really disorientating yeah, so I can, can empathise with what you're saying so um, it's been great having you on the, on the podcast we might wrap it up there um, unless you had anything else you wanted to add no just a big thank you to, for having me on it's been great to have a chat and talk through some of these things and Mm. And I learned I learned a lot. It's good. No, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> I yeah, really appreciate it. Great. And um, hopefully we'll see some more of your work in the uh, in the near future. 
So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. To support our work, we would really encourage you to subscribe to the Lit Poetry Podcast or our YouTube channel. Doing so is the best way that you can support our work. I really hope that you enjoyed this week's discussion and I'll see you next time. Koans for the Young by Paul Mitchell Just because ghosts don't exist doesn't mean they can't haunt you. When you're old, remind the younger you that you don't like what old people say. Once you realize you don't know anything, you'll know you're no longer young. Imagine you're talking to your younger self. Now imagine that's me. Luckily, I've got nothing to say. Not to you, anyway. As you know, time is only the same for us because we're on this planet. But when are you reading this? A theory destroyed is an angel shooting a pop gun at a circus lion projected on a clown's behind. God knows everything except how to be an atheist. That dream you keep having where you miss your exam hasn't happened yet. If it has, remember, the answers are in koans I've yet to write. I had a final koan in mind about the wind, but it was gone before I had time to wonder where it came from. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.